Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I'm your host, Jason Greenblatt. With tensions rising across the world, Diplomacy is needed perhaps now more than ever. During my time as former White House Middle East envoy and as one of the chief architects of peace between Israel and its Arab neighbors, I've had the chance to witness the power of diplomacy firsthand, and today I would like to share that perspective with you. Shalom, salam, and welcome to The Diplomat. Earlier this month, I traveled to South Korea to speak at the Asian Leadership Conference and for some business meetings. I'd never been to South Korea before, and boy was I impressed with what I saw. By way of background, South Korea's land size is comparable to Minnesota. It has a population of about 52 million people. Seoul, the capital of South Korea, has about 10 million people, but the greater Seoul metropolitan area has about 25 million people, or about half the population of South Korea. North Korea, by the way, has a population of about 25 million people in total. North Korea attacked South Korea in 1950 when the Northern Korean People's Army invaded South Korea along the 38th parallel. That's the line that divides communist North Korea from non-communist South Korea. China and the former Soviet Union supported North Korea in the Korean War, and the United States supported South Korea. The war ended in July 1953 when the Korean Armistice Agreement was signed. The agreement created a Korean demilitarized zone, also known as the DMZ, which separated North and South Korea. More on the DMZ later in this episode. No peace treaty was ever signed between North and South Korea, and the two countries are technically still at war. The Korean War had about 3 million fatalities and was among the most destructive wars of modern times. Most of Korea's main cities were destroyed, and the war had a very significant death toll. Ironically, the official name of North Korea, the authoritarian state led by the Kim family over the last 70 years, is the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. But North Korea is no democracy. Far, far from it. Ever since the Korean War, North Korea's leaders have wanted to take over South Korea. North Korea has been unable to dominate South Korea using conventional military means, and it now poses a nuclear threat to South Korea and perhaps even to the United States. Negotiations to denuclearize North Korea failed over many years, in the same way that negotiations to denuclearize the Iranian regime have failed. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un continues to build up both his nuclear capabilities and conventional missiles. So far, no country has come up with a good strategy to counter the significant threat posed by North Korea. In 2021, North Korea was fairly quiet both in its public comments and in its actions. Partly, this was because of COVID-19. Likely, it was also partly because Kim Jong-un wanted to see how President Biden would deal with North Korea. But in 2022, North Korea amped up its weapons testing, carrying out about 13 weapons tests, rattling its saber against South Korea, 
but also showing that it's getting closer and closer to becoming a threat to the United States. North Korea is sending a message to the United States. The message is that the U.S. had better be careful with any plans to attack North Korea, since North Korea might have the capacity, now or in the near future, to be able to attack the U.S. homeland. In January 2021, North Korea leader Kim Jong-un summarized his weapons development goals and made clear that he was seeking to perfect guidance technology for a multi-warhead rocket to be able to make a preemptive and retaliatory nuclear strike with pinpoint accuracy against targets within a range of 15,000 kilometers, or about 9,320 miles from North Korea. The air travel distance from North Korea to parts of the U.S. is less than that. For example, the air travel distance to Hawaii is about 4,670 miles. The air travel distance to California, about 5,600 miles. Even Washington, D.C. is within this range. In April 2022, Kim Jong-un made it clear that he seeks to improve both the power and scale of North Korea's nuclear weapons. There's no indication at all that Kim Jong-un has any intention of letting up his drive for powerful nuclear weapons. Ultimately, the U.S. and South Korea will have to significantly improve their counter-missile capabilities to stay ahead of North Korea as North Korea continues to develop its missile capabilities. Detecting North Korea's missiles and launchers is just not sufficient. The day may come, perhaps in the not-too-distant future, when a country under threat may have to consider destroying North Korea's launchers and missiles. Another possibility would be for South Korea to develop its own Iron Dome technology, similar to what Israel has developed and which Israel has used very successfully against missiles coming from Iranian terrorist proxies such as Hamas. In April 2022, Josh Rogan wrote an opinion in the Washington Post titled, Kim Jong-un is adopting Putin's Ukraine playbook. In this piece, Rogan wrote that after two years of self-imposed pandemic-related isolation, a megalomaniacal totalitarian dictator is threatening to attack his democratic neighbor while rattling his nuclear saber at the West. Three months ago, this would have perfectly described Russian President Vladimir Putin. Today, it also fits the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un. Rogan correctly points out that from the time Putin attacked Ukraine, Kim Jong-un has been more aggressive in terms of his public comments and actions, and that he's watching Putin's brazen attack on Ukraine and the world's response. While Washington is focused on Ukraine, Kim is upping the ante in East Asia, he says. Years ago, when North Korea began its nuclear weapons program, they were claiming, at least publicly, that it was for deterrence and self-defense. It would appear that now, North Korea may be aiming to attack South Korea and perhaps beyond, perhaps well beyond. Kim may not be ready to attack South Korea today, but we can't rule that out. Let's remember that as Russia was encircling Ukraine, many people were saying that Russia was not going to attack Ukraine. That never made sense to me. Why would Putin have spent all that time, money, and energy encircling Ukraine if he didn't intend to attack it? So let's pay attention to Kim's current posture and also recognize that trying to predict what someone like Kim might do is just as useless as predicting what Putin was going to do or not do. By the way, though Rogan does not cover Iran in this opinion, I would argue that some of his points would be similar for the murderous Iranian regime. Let's learn some lessons here and apply them to Iran as well. If Iran says that one of its stated goals is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, why don't we believe that this is Iran's intent? Do we just want to pretend this away? And isn't it ironic that the Europeans who want to make a deal with Iran, a very weak deal at that, and only because they want to trade with Iran, 
now have Iran providing drones to Russia to help Russia attack Ukraine. The Iranians have come home to roost, so to speak, in Europe. The Iranians are now going to help Russia as Russia wreaks havoc in Europe. I wonder if the Europeans are rethinking their strategy in terms of Iran now that Europe itself is threatened indirectly by Iran helping Russia. If they aren't, they sure ought to be. In the same Washington Post piece, Rogan points out that Kim Jong-un's sister, Kim Yo-jong, threatened to use nuclear weapons to annihilate South Korea in any armed confrontation. When someone makes a threat like that, the one that's threatened, in this case South Korea, would do well to take the threat seriously. And I hope one of South Korea's most important allies, the United States, takes that threat seriously as well. And I hope the United States is working closely with South Korea to help them carefully plan. We should be standing with our ally and friend, South Korea. Getting back to Iran, because Israel and its Arab neighbors are threatened by the Iranian regime, many are suggesting that a Middle East NATO type of alliance should be established. This idea has been floated on and off for some years now. It's unclear if the countries of the Middle East can actually join together to establish that alliance, at least for now. Whether or not that type of Middle East alliance happens, though, perhaps it's time for a NATO type of alliance in Asia to send a signal to North Korea that if it's considering attacking South Korea, it would be an attack on numerous countries in that region. Of course, as in the Middle East, this type of alliance will not be easy to correct. Tensions exist between some countries in the region. But as Kim gets more and more aggressive, perhaps it's time to let those tensions go, no matter how hard, no matter the legitimacy of the grievances, given the significant threat emanating from North Korea. While it would be nice if diplomacy could solve all kinds of threats, I don't think the North Korea threat is ripe for being solved by diplomacy now or at any time in the foreseeable future, absent some dramatic, unexpected change in North Korea. I think the same for the threat posed by the Iranian regime, which will not give up its ambitions to destroy Israel and attack and seek to take over swaths of the Middle East if it could achieve it. Since North Korea likely has ambitions towards South Korea and perhaps others in the region, it may be time for Japan, South Korea, and others in the region to get past the differences for the greater good of protecting themselves. The differences may be real, important, deeply rooted, but the differences will mean nothing if North Korea becomes emboldened to attack. Also, the region should consider very carefully whether they will ultimately be able to rely on the United States to defend them, or supply them, or stand by them. The attack on Ukraine and the very mixed response from the world should be instructed to all of those countries that are threatened by North Korea. It's clear that the United States and other countries as well are weighing just how much they can police the world, especially as the economy continues to tighten, inflation keeps climbing, there's so much work to be done at home in their own countries, the war in Ukraine shows no signs of letting up, and the cost of helping Ukraine increases exponentially. Partnering with those most likely to be affected by an attack from North Korea rather than relying on help from countries so far away might be a much better strategy. The U.S. and others might be a backup option, but perhaps countries in the region ought to consider long and hard a first line of defense in case the U.S. cannot or will not rush into a conflict in Asia. Nothing is certain anymore in today's world. The U.S. has already tried diplomacy, food assistance, economic inducements, and security guarantees with North Korea. None of those worked. Over the years, North Korea agreed to freeze its nuclear weapons program, and then it violated those freezes, in much the same way the Iranian regime did as well. We need to stop pretending and understand that when a regime threatens to annihilate another country, we should believe them, and not think that we can make peace with everyone. We can't make peace with everyone. The sooner we recognize that there's evil in this world, 
and not pretend that everyone thinks like us and wants a better life for their kids, the better. Going back to my recent trip to South Korea. When I came to Korea, one of the most important things for me was to visit the DMZ. I wanted to better understand South Korea. I wanted to understand more about the new friends I was making in South Korea. I'm so glad I went to the DMZ. What a tragic place. Perhaps the most poignant part to me were the photos of the families who were separated. You could see the bone-deep sadness in their eyes. I think their hearts are forever scarred. I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to be separated and unable to see, let alone communicate with family. The next terribly tragic thing for me was being able to look over at North Korea, see people moving around, and realize that at the moment, there's no positive future for them. They're captive to a regime that cares nothing about their lives and only has hate in its heart for South Korea. What also moved me, and angered me deeply, was walking through one of the attack tunnels built by the wicked ingenuity of North Korea in order for them to attack South Korea. I realize that the tunnels are not the most significant of threats that North Korea has in its evil, hateful arsenal, but as I walked through the tunnel, I couldn't help but think of Israel. It immediately brought to mind the terror tunnels built by the murderous Hamas terrorists, puppets of an Iranian regime that has vowed to wipe Israel off the map. Terror tunnels that were designed to allow Hamas terrorists to infiltrate Israel from Gaza and to attack Israelis and to kidnap Israelis as well. During the course of my stay in South Korea, I'd already seen many similarities between South Korea and Israel, two countries that achieved great success in just a few decades, two countries with drive, ambition, and great vision. But as I learned about the threat to South Korea from the regime to its north, it drove home the point that both countries are two sides of the same coin. Here's my thought after visiting South Korea and then a few days later visiting Israel, following President Biden's visit to Israel and Saudi Arabia. In that visit to Israel, President Biden made clear that he thinks the best way to a nuclear weapon-free Iran is through diplomacy. Presumably, he would say the same about North Korea, though I'm not sure what he said about North Korea. In any event, I don't agree. I think regimes like Iran and North Korea are not capable of honest diplomacy. Any deal they might agree to is unlikely to last very long, and they'll certainly cheat along the way. My hope is that South Korea and some of its neighbors, together with Israel and some of its neighbors, will work together learn from one another, and develop technologies and strategies together to fight the evil regimes that threaten to destroy their countries and their very way of living. They're also a threat to the United States and all of the U.S. allies around the world. We may not be the first country to be attacked, but these regimes surely have us in their crosshairs. It's a battle of good versus evil, folks. Let's stop pretending otherwise. Folks, my new book is finally out, In the Path of Abraham. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. If you want to understand how the Trump administration created peace in the Middle East and to learn more about today's Middle East, this is definitely the book for you. Order your copy today. Until next time, I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader